Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Second hour, Dan Dockich will join us coming up in 20 minutes. We also have primary complaints at... 345 Central. If you're listening across the OutKick Network, we say hello to great radio partners like Sports Radio 104.7 across the Upper Cumberland. Um, If you're listening in Fox Sports Shoals, Muscle Shoals, Alabama, Huntsville, Florence, Alabama, we say hello. Maybe it's a a degree or two cooler there than it is here. At least we can hope for your sake. And uh, shout out to Somo Sports Radio in Joplin, Missouri, and everyone around we, uh, that great town. We love all of our radio partners. Big shout-out to all of you. Um, Davey, is Dan Dockich going to be on uh, the the stream today? Live view. Okay, good. Just making sure. Last week we had Dan on, and he was snacking when he joined our show in a hammock, it appeared. So I was going to make sure we had a better setup today for that. Well, Sounds we also, like a good setup for him. I feel like if I – and I say this, and I love Dan, but if I joined Dan's show snacking in a hammock – I feel like he would get 15 to 20 good minutes of ranting about respect after I signed off with him. So just wanted to make sure he was being respectful today he of was our in show. A, he was in a hammock last week? He was laying down when our segment started. There's no doubt. And about 15 other people who saw it said the same thing because he is, he is laying down eating, and then at some, one point early in the interview, you see him move up to where he's then upright after it started. <laughs> well, I mean uh, – I think he clearly forgot that uh, he was coming on the show, and I didn't it's, notice it's the hammock. But I, now that I remember, it does. He was I don't probably think he forgot he was coming on the show because there was like a message 15 minutes prior that he would not be on Live View. So he he yeah. prepped enough to well, know he that. He gets that message yeah. when he, after he forgets that he's coming on our show. <laughs> I, I don't think it's seared into Look, his I'm, brain. I'm good. I'm good with it. I just I wanted to make sure that we're in a in a better. Yeah, we're spot not about today. eating on air. Not That's about eating saying. on air and not about, you know, laying in a hammock. <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking of backdrops for shows, uh, this is like uh, the, the dress debate of a few years ago. You gold know, is it or blue. gold or blue or whatever it is? People watching on the stream right now, if you're watching our show, say that it is Kansas State purple behind us. I'm looking at the individual shot of me. It's clearly blue. Well, behind us, the light is blue to there. match the Outkick 360 blue and black logo. I think it looks terrific. And everyone is complimenting the new look of the studio, saying the lighting is terrific, but multiple people say, I love the purple that's behind you. you Paul, you can look ahead of I'm you. I'm looking there's at yours. Purple yeah, there's purple over here. There's purple in the top two That people can't see. Those. There's blue behind but it. But it could see bounce. The that purple could bounce a little. I, I'm looking at my head, and my shirt is blue, and I feel like it's blue tinted. I feel like yours is blue tinted. Let's see hot. I thought you can probably they can can they control the uh, hut still can looks they control the least the, the lights the and, least and the shade of this blue. Will. 
I mean, look, it's... Can it's we make a, their life a living hell even more with uh, the different lights that have to be... It, it's it's almost like an optical illusion. And people are asking... Guess the color every uh, day. Did you white balance the cameras? This must be someone that's in lighting. But, uh, the, yes. Is that right? Is Ryan Albanese checking in from London or Shouldn't Paris? Shouldn't we do or, this every, no, every day? We hold up the white, Sydney, Paul, Australia. white balance? Paul Sam says, your shirt looks purple, too. There your you shirt is very blue. Again, I, I don't know what's going on, but I'm telling you, I'm looking right at it, and it's blue. And even in the camera, it looks blue on the stream. So, teach his own. Chad, can I, can I get your response to this question? You can get my response to any question, Hutton. Um, Anytime, day or night. The NCAA is meeting with the Grand Miami Booster, John Ruiz. Yes. What question could they ask to actually get a straight answer uh, or that would invoke some type of, I don't know, uh, respect at this point? I have zero respect for that organization currently. And if they showed up in my town, my college town, and I'm using this in broad terms, and said, hey, we're here for an investigation. We'd like to sit down with you. I'd sit down and like smirk like I was at a deposition. Like, what are you going to do to us? NCAA, when you took a step back less than a year ago, but now you want to look into what's going on here with our, our booster program. That, to me, they, lo- they lost a, a, the, any threat of you know, pressure whenever they did that, especially considering all the different meetings that are going on and the fact that Miami... They know they're in the group that branches off whenever that happens, if they want to be. I don't think I would meet with the NCAA if I was John Ruiz or anyone. So and you I, I don't know. Like that I would just Daniel say Daniel Snyder with on Capitol Hill. Well, they don't have subpoena power. Who says no? I'm not going to show up for the interview. They don't have subpoena power. He's not an employee of the University of Miami. You know, he's not an, an employee of the football program in any way. Like what? What compels John Ruiz to even have the meeting? I would just say, look, I own multiple businesses. I'm a very busy guy. I don't have time for you. I don't have time for this. And and just say that. I know Ruiz went on to say, I've got nothing to hide, so I'm happy to talk with them. He said it was very forward and clean cut, but you know, it it was Dennis Dodd who had the report that the NCAA Enforcement Committee was... I'm thinking, that's an oxymoron. Uh, They wanted to discuss uh, NIL practices which they wanted nothing to do with until the last month of the calendar year. And now they're going to show up at the doorstep of Miami, who jumped at the opportunity like other programs, uh, and said, yeah, we're going to, you're going to let it be the wild, wild west. We're going to take advantage uh, I, of that. But they allowed this to happen. I just don't know why. Again, like John Ruiz should not, if I'm, if I'm Miami and I'm backdoor channeling, well, that's advising other, that's him, a great point too. I'm telling him, don't even meet with them. Yeah. Like, great, you've helped us out with some guys and recruiting, whatever. You're a big fan of the school. Just don't even, there's no purpose. Hutton, there's no purpose in even talking to the NCAA at this point. Just let the clock run out on the NCAA. Acknowledge it is the wild, wild west right now. There will eventually be rules. That's what they're trying to get under control. That's what Greg Sankey wants. That's what everyone says they want. Every college coach says they want rules, says they want to get it under control, says they want some sort of regulation. So just wait until there's a new governing body over the sport and then start talking about enforcement. But at this point, I, I just wouldn't even, again, it wouldn't be a blip on my radar. 
I would have my assistant, if I'm John Ruiz, email the NCAA back and say, he is too busy to meet. He's got way too much going on. Sorry, can't do it. And and Paul, what if, are they going to do? If yeah. we're if we're just the, just the common sense aspect of this, like if we got, if we were placed into the NCAA role right now, the like the the order of which they're going about things makes no sense to me. They they have a president who's out by July of next year, who's powerless. He was awful, and and Mark Emmert, but yet. The people that are a part of the enforcement committee, for which they don't even have true guidelines, they're meeting with with university boosters to determine what was going on in NIL guidelines that were followed, despite not have like despite not having leadership in place for the future of this. They need a point person, and Mark Emmert. I mean, if he lasts until next July, that's the deadline for them to make the change. It's uh, to me. It's just backwards. This meeting means it's just a waste of time. It's a meeting for the sake of meeting, and it's a big headline to look like someone's in charge. But there's really nothing. Like, what are they going to enforce here that matters in 2025? Yeah, and what are they saying? Like, how are they trying to present it as uh, uh, as a power a power body coming to you that has <clears throat> some some heft to it? Like, I, I don't understand how they're expecting any answer but the one, Chad, that you're saying. Am I looking at it the wrong way, Chad? No, I, like I, no, 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 not at all. What are, I, they, what are they wasting their time on this for? Well, look, if you are – I think it's two different responses. Like, if you're the school, if you're Miami, you know, I'm pretty sure, you know, Miami's got everything buttoned up on this, even if they've got a booster paying for their recruits, which they do, which is fine, oh, yeah. which I have no issue with. Um, then Miami should, you know, okay – We'll answer answer your questions. We'll have our legal counsel with us, and we'll be very brief in our answers with everything. But it doesn't behoove the university to just completely disrespect the NCAA right now. Um, you know, and just no, we'll never meet with you again. Don't you know? Bl- we're going to block your number. This and that. But don't completely but if comply I'm, either. If I'm any outside agency, outside of a school, a university official, there is no way you're getting me to meet with the NCAA on any of this. If I've done anything, this is not the federal government. They don't have subpoena power. There's no reason for you to meet with them. The only thing that could happen are bad things. Is that you uh, admit to something and then it leads to something else. There's just no purpose in it until the NCAA has purpose. Right. And, and there's and no purpose to the NCAA so right now. They, they don't allow schools to arrange deals. However... There are state laws that do now allow that to happen for schools to arrange deals. So they're not more powerful than the until state. they figure out the legalities of this. I, I to, to, you said it. Um, you don't want to insult the NCAA or uh, disrespect. disrespect. Yeah, disrespect. And I totally agree. I'm not looking for some you know middle finger. Don't to pick this. a fight. But at the same time, I'm tired of the NCAA over the last six to eight weeks. Um. Quite frankly, like I feel like they're treating us like idiots, like the fans of the sport. Like we're actually going to believe they're enforcing anything in regards to this. Like window dressing is all this is. It's a complete waste of time. The, the, the topic is what is who is the leader in the future that steps forward uh, beyond just a complete power conference split off from whatever this NCAA um, realm looks like 
five years from now. Until then, to me, this this means nothing. And it, and uh, the, I, like, I like how the report quoted, uh, according to uh, sources, he voluntarily sat down with the NCA as a uh, as, as opposed to waterboarding, what? mandatory. Like, what like seriously? Like what are they doing? I, I don't understand the uh, the aspect of this type of meeting. This type of meeting takes place after you have a new set of rules in place that are legal and fair for all. And and right now, you know, they they can meet with Miami. Meanwhile, if they wanted to, Florida State could do the exact same thing, right? I'm, I'm looking at it yeah. from a school perspective. And also, any coach... State, state school perspective. Any coach or administrator or anyone at these programs, if you're worth your salt, your only answer to the NCAA, even if you meet with them, is, not to my knowledge, was something set up in advance before this, not to my knowledge, did they have contact with this, not to my knowledge. I mean, that's... They're not getting involved in this. It is right. the outside agency that's doing these things. I, Nick Saban probably believes deep down that they're actually not using NIL to get recruits when everyone with a brain knows they are. Like when he says those things, he may actually believe it. No, he knows they are, but he, he but he also doesn't know detail about but it, right? It, like he, they also stay out of that part of it. But it's a recruitment pitch to raise even more money. Right? It's, it's like, it's us against everyone. So we need more of your donations. We need you to step up because yeah. if not, we're going to be outbid uh, forever. Yeah. By NM. Yeah. The, 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 the guys, if they don't step back and step aside because they're tired of this landscape, they're going to figure out a way to do it, Paul. It's like your question with Fulmer earlier this week. Uh, if you don't get tired of the mess and it's not worth what you got in the job for, you're going to figure out a way to win within the structure of the rules that you're you playing with. To. Right. And Saban would certainly do that. Like, so I don't, I don't think it's, he's, it's no different than uh, Kirby, uh, not Kirby, um, Jimbo saying he doesn't know what the what a collect what the collect is up to, right? He knows. Just like John Ruiz has the pipeline into Miami, but again, like the NCAA allowed this based on how they read the opinion from the Supreme Court, not the ruling, but the opinion confirming the ruling that if they acted a certain way, then there could be more lawsuits down the road, which they're afraid of. I don't blame them for that. But you can't come back less than a year later and try to then make the bet up. Well, it doesn't say, work you like can't that. sit out all of that and then come back. That's an important distinction because Jared in the YouTube chat says the adults in the room didn't think, talking about the NCAA not having a handle on regulations or what was going to happen because they made some ruling. They didn't make any ruling. The Supreme Court said this, and then it was out of their hands. They've mm -hmm. got no recourse. So then that's when things get out of hand like we knew they would. And now there's no regulation on bringing it back in as of now. The market will course correct and or there will be some sort of legislation that can prohibit some of it at some point. But it's not there right now. So this is all pointless. Anything the NCAA says, pointless. But it's also important to say the NCAA did not want this. This, this was not the oh, NCAA. Absolutely not. Hey, guys, we got a clear conscience now. These kids really need to make money on their own name, image, and likeness. And it's all free. Whatever you want to do, go ahead. You know, there's no, they didn't do this. This was out of their hands. It's done to them. Right. I I, but I, the enforcement committee, last point, I don't know. So they take this interview. Who do they then take the results of that interview to? Like if you're typing up a report based on John Ruiz in Miami, who do you send it to? And, and how, what's the process like from there? 
I, I don't think anyone really knows. I think they just well, do some, it to get their paycheck because that's their job president to fly around Emmert? and meet with coaches because of rule infractions or the potential of that. It's very confusing, and I wish the priorities were such where we could get to a structure or at least down the road of a structure instead of just debating on what's going to happen. I, I just, I'll, I'll, I'll say it a million times. The same governing body over gymnastics should not be the same governing body That's over right. college football at the highest level. I think they, they're not, I'm not, not demeaning athletes of all kinds, whatever. It's hard to play these sports. It's not the same, it's not the same ballpark. It's hell, it's not the same league. You've got one that is a multi-billion dollar organization bringing in billions for schools. You've got others that cost the school a ton of money. You can't have the same regulatory body over both. There has to be a sole governing body over football, a sole governing body over men's basketball, a sole governing body probably over baseball, and then on down the line, you can group different sports together if you want, but it can't be one NCAA over all these sports. Can't. I think they should just tread water until Oliver Luck or Condoleezza Rice or whoever it is is installed. And then they should tread some water while that person organizes and, and reorganizes and organizes some more. And they should be working to get that person in office as fast as possible. I think the best case scenario, and this is a major topic we can dive into on requirements of what we would be looking for for this, um, the best case scenario is someone steps forward. It's not these, this current NCAA recruiting someone, begging them to take the position. Yeah. Right? It's someone else who has a plan and says, we're going to fix this mess, and here's, here's the direction we're headed, and here's why I'm the guy or the woman for the job. You know well, what, what kind I, of person do we love? want? We want a CEO of some major company? You know what do I would we love? want an educator? Do we want I'll a- give you the answer right now. The NFL. I want the NFL to get a piece of college football and make it a minor league system just like Major League Baseball gets a cut of minor league baseball and let them handle it. Let them hire new people that are college people that can run it as well as the NFL has run from a business perspective and call it what it's always been, the best minor league system going. They probably want for no free. Piece. They probably want nothing to do with it. It's done for them without... No, but I'm saying it, this is my perfect yeah, right, world free. for college football. Yeah. I'm not telling you what the NFL is right, going to yeah. do. But if you told the NFL, hey, you can make an extra two bill a year or whatever if you take over half of what these schools are making to, to regulate it, to govern it, there's probably a price where they'll do it. Anyway, just the thought I had right now. That's interesting. Popped in my head. Dan Dockett joins us. Maybe from a hammock, maybe not. But he's with Donat across the Outkick Network. Dan Dockett next. We'll pick up on this. Uh, we'll hit uh, some NBA Finals discussion and much more. With Dan Dockett's next and Outkick 360. If you missed uh, Dan's interview with Linda Cohn, you can go back on Don't Ask Me. Love Linda Cohn. With Dan Dockett from this morning. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Dan Dockett joins us now on the program as he does each and every week at this time, and we appreciate him for it. Dan, hope you're doing well, man. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th 
Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey, I was swimming, so I want people to know that these eyes, I'm not baked here. I've been in the pool. So, you know, and I got my towel, my IU towel right behind me. So I don't want anybody thinking, man, Doc, has been sitting around since his show, you know, just getting high. I don't smoke weed, never have, probably never will. <laughs> probably. So I just want these eyes a result of chlorine, boys. You look great. I love the gun show you took everyone on with the flex. That's become a famous screenshot now of you flexing your bicep. Uh, I was yep. su- surprised to see those biceps. Nice work, Dan. Well, you know, um, P90X, baby. Little <laughs> yeah. P90X, uh, you know, uh, eat a lot of bad food and, uh, you know, do this from behind, like pump it up underneath. It works. But, yeah, guys sent that to me, and I wanted the world to see. Don't mess with me. Sun's out, guns out, boys. Dan Dockage with us on Outkick 360. Random one uh, to begin, and it's, it's based off of Chad coaching his daughter. What is the best, what's the perfect age for a coach to want to coach a player? If we're just generalizing uh, age group here, because I, 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 for one, would not want to do anything really below, uh, under middle school, because it, it, for me, it's just not enjoyable, uh, because you're, I, I wouldn't be good at teaching the game. I don't have that patience. Um, but I also wouldn't want to put up with the crap from parents at the age groups right after that. And meanwhile, you've got all the regulations or lack thereof at the college level now. All right. When I was a head coach at Bowling Green on Sundays, I used to coach all the neighborhood kids. Uh, My son was probably in third grade. We had practice once a week. I would coach him in this league uh, up in Toledo, and I loved it. I'm not going to lie. It was a blast. Uh, and I, our practices would be like, look, this is going to be a high school practice, even though they were in like third grade. And then <laughs> I li- and I'm being literal here. Yeah. I went from coaching Indiana as the head coach at Indiana to the next winner. I was the sixth grade. Gr- no, I wasn't. I was the fifth grade girls coach at St. Charles Elementary School, my daughter's team. We didn't win a single game. And the dads and I used to bet I would make the line on how many cries we were going to have per game. And usually it was about two and a half. And I'd walk up to all the dads. i go, all right, everybody give me a buck. Which side you on? And it rarely was it under two and a half. And I got to tell you, at the basketball banquet at the Cafe Pizzeria in Bloomington, they gave me the team ball signed by everyone. They were all hugging me and crying. That was the best experience coaching that I ever had and then I coached my son and his buddy's eighth grade team that same year we won basically all of our games and that was really fun and then I coached AAU from seventh grade until 12th grade and that was fun until the last year to your point when all of a sudden mommies and daddies were worried about scholarships man oh man a lot of relationships were lost then I was just like hey look we're gonna try to win we're gonna have fun well these dudes would walk, dads would walk out of the gym if I took their kid out. And finally, I just said, hey, screw you. Uh, you know, do it again. Embarrass us. Embarrass your kid. He ain't playing. I became a pain. But I'll tell you this. Fifth grade girls at St. Charles Elementary, eighth grade boys at St. Charles Elementary, Bloomington, Indiana. That was fun. Dan, if I've done my math correctly, which could 
entirely be wrong. You and Ralph Sampson overlapped three seasons as collegiate players, no? Way no. off. He's older than you. We never overlapped. He was gone by the time I got there. Ah, uh, no, we did overlap. You're right. I no, got you no, overlapping right. 81, 82, 83. Yeah, yeah, 80, 82 and 83 we overlapped. I, I, my seasons were 82, 83, 84, 85. Ralph, uh, in fact, when Ralph left, they beat us. Virginia beat us in the Elite Eight. To, they went to the Sweet 16, uh, and they beat – I turned the ball over with a minute and a half to go. We were up one, Good and uh, they ended up beating us to go to the Sweet Six, our Final Four. We had him on the other day. Uh, we were talking uh, NBA Finals and about his career. I, I just w wanted your perspective on just what a unicorn he was uh, at the time in, in his career as a college basketball player. You know, it, it was a different time, Paul, and he was, along with Sam Bowie, Melvin Turpin, Patrick Ewing, uh, shoot, there's a bunch of others, I'm going to forget them all, but there were centers were big then, and Ralph Sampson was, in my world, the first big guy, uh, <coughs> excuse me, that could really move. And I got to tell you, and maybe he told you this, but with Ralph Sampson, there was always this debate, is his versatility a negative? Because older guys than me will tell you that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar could run, he could handle the ball, he could shoot. But Kareem figured out, hey, look, I'm getting a go-to. It's going to be a sky hook. That became the most dangerous weapon. But Samson was so talented that it became a deal. Well, well, why is he shooting jump shots? Why doesn't he learn just to stay on the block? Well, he makes it honestly became a deal because of his immense talent and size that, you know, people felt like he was too talented. He was too versatile and he didn't focus on one particular thing. But not a dude had a great career. He's a Hall of Famer. I mean, what the hell you want out of the guy? But that was the debate back in the 80s about his talent. We asked him, uh, he gave an interesting answer asking him his prediction for game six of these NBA finals. And he said, if Boston has any heart at all, we're going to get a game seven. They're not going back home and losing on their home court. And he told a story where in 86 against the Celtics when he was in Houston that he got ejected from the game for fighting the Celtics early on. But he told his guys in the locker room before the game, they may win this series. They're not going to win it in this game in Houston. They're going to have to go back to Boston and win the series. I love that story from Ralph Sampson. Do you buy into that, that – this is simply a, if Boston has the heart to defend their home court, they're not going to get eliminated in that game. First of all, Ralph fought a friend of mine, Jerry Seasting. Jerry and I play golf all the time, and Jerry has a great story uh, about it. He, he's trying to, he says Ralph chicken, uh, cheap shot at him. You know, If you go back and look at the video, it's a hell of a fight, and Jerry's <laughs> about six feet two, but he's half crazy. So he had no problem fighting. But Seasting and I, uh, we've talked about that. So you should get – Seasting is one of the great interviews uh, on stuff like that, played with the Celtics. But I do buy that. But all right, um, I always say this. The other team's on scholarship too. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it, ain't, it isn't like Golden State is just going to say, well, you know what, you guys are really fighting today. Uh, we're not going to play. However, there are some games, and I guarantee you if Ralph was listening to this, he's nodding his head. 
There are some games where you go on the road against a really good team. It's got to be a really good team. It's got to be evenly matched. You go on the road, and you're just not winning the game as the road team. I mean, you're just – I'm sorry. You can play well, but you're not just – you're just not winning the game because the other team is playing too well. Shots are going in. Balls are bouncing around five times on the rim, then going in. You got open looks. They're not going in. The crowd's out of their mind. So I get what Ralph is saying, and I think he's right – I think you're going to see a huge heart, but let me tell you something. You can have all the heart you want, but if Steph Curry says, screw this, I'm going to go get 45, you got a real problem regardless of your heart. I do think this, though. I think the Celtics in game three outscored Golden State 52-26 to in the paint. Now, that's not throwing the ball with your back to the basket. That's driving it into the lane. Screw the analytics. We're going to take a two. Throw it up on a lob to Robert Williams when his man helps. 52 to 26 is significant. I felt like in the subsequent games, particularly late, the Celtics have relied and forgotten about all that stuff and shot jump shots. Heart, great. But you better not forget to get yourself into the damn paint. You got to get into the paint. Uh, and if you get into the paint, then you can create drop-offs, you can create lobs, and you can go score. That's something I feel like the Celtics have forgotten. They can have heart, they can have toughness, but you better go back to that unless, you're, unless you make, you know, 18 out of 28 threes or 18 out of 35 threes. If you're not doing that, you better take the ball because they're capable of it. I think I saw you say uh, Golden State's the best coach team in the league. I think plenty of people would think that. By how much and why? Well, I'll tell you why. The style of play, if you really watch them, the different ways they get baskets, you know what? They cut and move and slip screens, which is go between an, uh, two defenders when they switch, pop back off the screen. Steve Curry, Steve Kerr has his best players, Kerr and Thompson, set screens. Now, I got to tell you, you tell most NBA players, hey, man, you're going to be our leading scorer, uh, but you got to set a bunch of screens to do it. That guy's going to tell you to stick it. Kerr has Curry and Thompson doing it. They move. When you watch the ball go into the post, let's say the ball goes on the right block. Watch, don't watch the ball. You know where the ball is. Watch off the ball, and I'm telling you, there is more movement, more cutting, more action off the ball when the ball is on the opposite post than there are in almost any other team's offense. Second thing I think this team is much tougher, particularly Kerr and Thompson, defensively than they're, they're given credit for. Hey, look, when it comes time to putting your body on the line, Kerr's got no problem. He's been taught how to play post-defense. He's been taught how to square his shoulders so as not to give an angle on the perimeter. Look, I'll tell you a story. I don't ever watch the ball. Uh, I watch off the ball. When I was playing, I was a freshman at Indiana, we had an All-American. His name is Randy Whitman. He's a longtime coach. Maybe I've told you this story. But I'm on the bench, and Witt hits a jump shot. Witt hits a shot, Knight looks at the bench, and he goes, hey, who made that? And I'm thinking to myself, what the hell are you talking about? You're a Hall of Fame coach? You've won national, and you don't know who made the jump shot? Well, I found out later, he don't watch the ball. And I learned I don't ever watch the ball. I, I know where the ball is, so I'm watching over. And if you can do that and you watch the comparison between what the Warriors do 
And what every other team in the NBA does, it's absolutely no, no freaking, it's not even close, and that's all taught. That's not, in modern basketball, kids want to dribble. They don't want to cut, move, and certainly they don't want to set screens. But I got to tell you, man, the way they go about it is fantastic. Dan, first play of game five, I thought was a great example of just what you're talking about. First time Golden State gets in the half court, Otto Porter slips the screen, scores a layup on a perfect pass from Draymond Green. And I'm thinking, all right, Steph Curry coming off that game, he's going to get an early look. He's going to get a shot up quick. And then, boom, they hit him with that movement to start the game. I think that's a great example of what you're saying with how they move the ball. Well, it, it's, it's people movement and ball movement in concert. It, it's wonderful, and this is where coaching comes in. It's wonderful – like, I can go to a clinic and I can draw you up anything you want. Like, you know, coaches to this day will come to my house, hang out, have a few beers, and I got a chalk, and we'll go through motion offense. They, I'll have 10 coaches at some point this summer because guys don't know how to coach motion offense. They know how to dribble. And the one thing I always say is it's great that you have all that movement, but you got to have the ball in the right spot to make the pass. If I have the ball way the heck over here on the right and the movement is way the heck over here on the left, you got you got nothing. So I have to recognize, see where the movement is, bring the ball towards the action. I don't have to sprint it right next to him, but I got to get it to where I can make a pass. And I'm telling you guys, that's coaching. Like I had a guy, uh, I was doing a show halftime at the Big Ten Network. And I was on the set, and the guy goes, he's a longtime NBA player, and he goes, you know, Dan, the way you can really tell a coach is coming out of a timeout, his out-of-bounds play. I go, are you crazy? I go, hey, look, you know how you get a good out-of-bounds play? You practice a few out-of-bounds plays. That's crap. That's easy. What's hard is to synchronize and adjust during the game, both offensively and defensively. And I got to tell you, man, particularly offensively, Kerr's a bad boy with it. And here's the other deal. Myers, the GM, he fit that team together perfectly. I'll tell you why. The key to motion offense uh, is the foreman. You've got to have a foreman that can play as a guard. And other than the fact that he doesn't shoot it like a guard, Draymond Green's the perfect foreman. He brings it up. He spreads the defense because of his passing. He's a willing passer. The, the whole synergy of coach, or excuse me, of player, coach, and front office getting the right players could not be better. They may get beat. Hell, sometimes you just get beat. But it's dynamite to watch, fellas. Final three minutes here with Dan Dockage. Dan, I want to set you up for um, a little storytelling, if possible. And I'm not trying to say, oh, back in my day or anything. But growing up, I was watching the uh, Sports Center on ESPN on repeat from like 7:30 in the morning till 10. If it was on, I was it was on in the background at least. Um, what was it? You had Linda Cohn on this morning, so I'm tying this in. What was it like playing and then coaching in the early ESPN era of sports as they built their capital off of college athletics? You know. When I was in college, ESPN, Big Monday was big, right? And at Indiana, we were the big attraction. Even though we weren't great my senior year, we were the big attraction. I got to tell you, as a player in the early 80s when ESPN was coming, I was more interested in watching Big Monday than whether we were on ESPN. I I'm being honest with you. It was like, man, Pearl's playing tonight. My roommate – 
who was a first-round pick named Uwe Blop, he would be at the computer center. My other two roommates, one was a catcher on a baseball team, and the other is now a TV guy, big sports guy. We're like, screw school. We're watching Big Monday. I swear to God. Uwe would come home with his German accent. He would swear a lot, so I won't do that. Okay. You guys, how are you going to get through college? You guys just sit on your ass and watch TV all day. I go, no, we don't do it all day, but we do it when Big Monday's on. Um, I'll tell you something else. Then I got into coaching, and Super Tuesday came on, and Coach and I used to complain. But Vitale would come in, and I love Dick Vitale. But Knight always used to say to us, he goes, all right, look, Vitale's doing the game tonight. Don't tell him anything that we don't want out there. Because you knew if you are going to tell Dick Vitale something, he's going to tell everybody. So Knight would be like, hey, here's the things that we want to tell Vitale tonight to help us in recruiting. And Dick would always come in, and he would never talk to us assistants. He was great to us. He knew our names. He would say nice stuff on TV. But he would come in, hey, where's Bobby? Where's Bobby? Where's Bobby? Where, where, where's Bobby? Where's Bobby? And you know what myself and the other assistants would do? We'd go, hey, Dick, he's been looking for you. He's over there. Well, Knight would be over there. You know what I mean? Opposite. <laughs> like, yeah. Because it would piss us off, right? We're like, hey, how about saying hello? How you doing? Where's Bobby? Where's Bobby? Hey, Dick, he just he just went up the stairs over there. He did. He just, and Knight would be downstairs in our locker room. And, you know, but I got to tell you, um, working there, I really liked Linda. Like, I liked Linda, Steve Levy, uh, you know, Reese Day. All those guys are great. I don't know the younger guys, but, you know, the older guy, John Saunders, and I became really good friends. Yeah, yeah. And God rest his soul. But, you know, uh, that's my story from the early days. Oh, it's tremendous. Uh, you know, and, and she was always, Chad, on the repeat with uh, Dan Patrick, uh, Rich Eisen, Olbermann. I'm trying to think of the Yeah, the she's cast. smooth. Yeah, it was she awesome. She was smooth on that broadcast. It was Very awesome. good. Blob was right. You should have hit the books. <laughs> That's what he said. What the hell are you guys doing? Why you never study? Like, uh, look, I'm in telecom. Every dummy can pass telecom. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Dan Dockich. Uh, he's no dummy. Don't add him on, on Twitter uh, and on Outkick uh, mornings. Across the Outkick Network. Dan, keep up the great work. We'll catch up soon. See you, pal. Thank, thanks, fellas. Chad, I'll get you that number. Thanks, thanks Dan. Guys. Appreciate you. Yes, sir. What, get, go get back in the water. Tough life. This yeah. Guy. Coming up, it's time to, to air our top grievance of the week. It is, it's Wednesday. We're an hour later than usual because of a, a guest we had earlier, but it is time for primary complaint, and we're ready. Primary complaint is next on Outkick 360. Yes, Outkick 360 rolls on 6th and Peabody, our location, downtown Nashville. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Gentlemen, it's that time. It is. It is time for primary complaint. We do this each week. If you're new to the show. 
Paul, please explain the premise of primary complaint. It's the one thing that is really bothering you. Not the second, third thing, not a list of things. The one thing, your primary complaint. We, we used to uh, take calls where they, that we would have listeners who called in and said, and I've got two, two things that are really irking me today. And Paul, you would jump in and say, no, it's uh, primary. You have to have a primary. Not There's always a primary. Not tertiary. Sometimes it just happens for you perfectly. We were sitting in uh, Jurassic World. I feel like I went out into the world uh, and, and, uh, for, for some culture uh, last weekend. And the, the IMAX, there was this, you know, seven feet behind us was this younger woman. I, I, I had no idea her age or, you know, anything, uh, background, nothing, um, whenever the movie started. But literally, in, in Jurassic World, she had a two-year-old, maybe? May, maybe two. Uh, over, over a year, maybe less than two years old, who was on the railing right behind us babbling and talking and um you know crying whenever the dinosaurs showed up right like you need to have some some self-awareness in order to take the child out or i should take this back in order to bring the child in to begin with um but my primary complaint this week is not with the mother it's with the enforcement of this and allowing this to happen. Not that they, they need to pay someone to, to be a hall monitor. Uh, there should be a requirement that if you're allowed in the theater for a certain film, yeah, like going in, if they're checking IDs to see if you're with a guardian, you shouldn't be able to bring a toddler in to watch Jurassic World if you're charging whatever it was, 25, 30 bucks for me to go and watch it on the IMAX or any screen. That is my primary complaint. This is opposite of Ashley Schaefer. This is one where you don't let the child watch. No. That's for sure when this happens. And I completely agree with you. And that's really bad parenting also. Yeah, a lot to of To bring your child to Jurassic heads. World Dominion. Or that's why Dominion, I don't go to the movies anymore. Um, my primary complaint this week. We have uniform units of measurement for everything in America. You know, for food that you get, calorie counts even. Everything you look at. Uh, a foot is a foot is a foot. In America, an inch is an inch is an inch, wherever you go, an ounce, so on and so forth. We have to come to a place where sizes of clothes are universal across every brand, across everything. There has to be a USDA of clothing sizes that makes everything universal. I am sick and tired of thinking about every brand I buy and thinking, well, Am I a large or extra large? That Does that run big or does that run small? Large, extra large, double XL, small, medium. These need medium. to be uniform sizes in every brand. If we can have a uniform system of measurement in everything else, can't we do it for clothing? This is my primary complaint. My primary complaint is uh, apparently the evolution of a word that I thought I knew Oh, Quite no. well. Benign. My, my puppy, uh, 13 months old, uh, has some bad blackheads right from the beginning. It kind of like almost rocks in his chest and on his arm. We had him looked at, removed, and uh, ultimately um, went to a dermatologist. The dermatologist sent us to an oncologist, and the test comes back. And they were benign. 
And so I was relieved. My puppy doesn't have cancer. Except that he might have cancer. <laughs> the benign stuff might progress and become malignant, we're told. So I think, I, I always thought if you had something that was benign, you were in the clear. But apparently, uh, my dog has benign cancer that is bad. Um, and so he will be monitored and take medicine as if he has malignant cancer to stop the benign cancer from potentially becoming bad. So what's the word if you have nothing? Is it different for dogs than humans? I don't know. It's a specific kind of benign cancer that has the potential to spread. But I, I don't know. There's got to at least be a middle word that's like benign should mean you're fine. Possibly. This word should mean it's possible to get bad. Probably. Malignant should mean bad. <laughs> Probably I need a middle word. Benign. Yeah, I mean, this I, is benign or, something. Or There's just a second word. Complete the sentence. It's benign, but, but we're going to watch it to see if it metastasizes or whatever. Right. Where it's like the possibility of it not being is there. Well, at least the pills that he's going to take um, to uh, hopefully stop this from progressing and turning bad are inexpensive. And we're unaware of <laughs> one question we forgot to ask is uh, if these work, is he on them for life? Oh. Uh, that's another great point. Yeah, you just got to um, keep taking. Yeah, we're it. excited to learn there's a pill that could stop this from happening, but we forgot to ask if he will then take them. And I, I hate asking, but do you? Did you possibly think that they've changed the meaning of this in order to turn a profit on pills that the dog doesn't need? No, we believe them. Oh, mm. good for you. I don't think they're scamming <laughs> us. I'm Glad puppy. you do. Probably. Chad would we, shoot the we, dog. Chad would have come home and just shot the dog. I believe them. I believe no one. Headlines next, including Clark Kingsbury and Kyler Murray.